Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your mercy that is new for us every morning. We thank you for your word that you speak and you want us to know you. And Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now and open your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we begin today and Advent with John Mayer. Uh, This is my tip of the hat to Jake and to Barnwell. Uh, Jake is a huge John Mayer fan, and Barnwell is a big Grateful Dead fan, which John Mayer now regularly plays with Dead and Company, if you know that's the latest iteration of that never-dying jam band, uh, the Grateful Dead. So anyhow, John Mayer saying back in 2006 that we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. And it's an appropriate song for us today uh, because it's the season we are entering today, Advent. Advent is a season of waiting. The season of Advent is this four-week period before Christmas, Advent uh, is Latin for uh, to come. That's literally what it means, to come. It's the season in which we wait for Jesus' arrival. We wait for his birth. We wait for Christmas. And now that we sit on the other side of Christmas uh, that happened 2,000 years ago, Advent actually has a twofold meaning. It's not just waiting about celebrating Jesus' birthday, which we will do in four weeks, but it's also about waiting for his return, waiting for him to come again, like he promised in the Gospel accounts, waiting for him to come and bring about the full consummation of the victory that he won through his death and resurrection thousands of years ago. The funny thing about Advent is that it is a season that we don't do very well. We're not very good at Advent, okay? We don't like to wait for anything, right? Just think about it. We are all about instant gratification, now more than ever. Uh, This is how our world increasingly operates, right? Black Friday used to be on Friday. (laughs) Now it's on Thursday night. You know, it starts Thanksgiving Day. We couldn't wait till Friday. We gotta get those sales. And then think of Amazon, right? Amazon, they don't want you to have to go to your virtual shopping cart anymore. You know how you used to have to do that? You'd put things in your cart and then you'd go to your cart. They don't want you to have to worry about that anymore uh, because if you do, you might actually think twice about what you put in there. Uh, So they don't want you to even look at your cart anymore. There's just that buy it now. Just swipe here, buy it now. Don't even worry about it. We're going to save you all of that buyer's remorse. We're going to save you all of that kind of second-guessing yourself. Just buy it. It's fine. You know, that's, that's Amazon right now, which you'll all be, you know, you'll all be on Amazon the next few weeks. I know it. Uh, or think of Netflix, right? Of course, Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV, all the new streaming services, Disney. You don't have to wait till next week for the next episode of your favorite show. You can stream them all right now. Binge watch them all for the next six to seven hours of your life right now. You don't have to wait. No more waiting. We're not good at it. We don't like to wait because then we might actually have some time on our hands. And that's bad to us. You know, we all say, oh, we're just so busy, I wish I had more time. But we actually don't really want the time. Because what happens when you have space and time? You actually begin to feel 
you actually slow down and you actually start feeling what's going on with you. You might actually become self-aware again. And frankly, our world doesn't want that. You know, if we start to become self-aware and we start to actually feel something, then we might actually hurt. There's potential for pain, right? We don't want to hurt. You know, pain sounds painful, right? We don't want that. Uh, We just want to stay plugged in and numbed out. That's really how our world is functioning right now. Waiting in many ways equates pain for us. We don't do it well and we don't like it. So Advent, the world doesn't even know what Advent is. You know, don't tell us about Advent. It's Thanksgiving's over. Let's get to Christmas. Um, as likely, unlikely as it may seem, John Mayer takes us right there. John Mayer is pushing us into Advent, okay? You didn't know this, but he's huge about Advent. His song, Waiting on the World to Change, um, that he sang back in 2006, was off his Continuum album. It was poignant back then. And it still is today, because it highlights the fact that things are not as they should be, right? Uh, It breaks our collective denial. Thank you, John Mayer. And uh, we've all, all of us have almost unwittingly bought into it. I have. The Lord has broken through in my life where I realized I've been spending way too much time numbing out, spending way too much time on my phone or streaming Netflix stuff, you know? I mean, I didn't live without this. I didn't have this thing forever, you know, for most of my life. And now that I've got it, it seems I can't put it down. And we hear, we hear John Mayer doing that with us, too, where he's, in his song, he sings about corrupt world leaders. He sings about uh, wars, right, and missing loved ones who are off fighting some battle somewhere. Uh, he sings about the misinformation of the news, you know. Just a cursory look at our world today and its issues, which haven't changed much since 2006 when he wrote the song, it's plain to see that things are not as they should be. And that's just a bummer, right? (laughs) Because then there's that pain. It's that pain that we don't want to feel. You know, we keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. And John Mayer, while he's great, wasn't the first one to, you know, acknowledge this. If you think uh, for folks more my generation. You go back 20 years before that, when I was growing up, and you too sang a song that was very famous too. It's called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Same idea, same message. Things are not as we hoped they would be. I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder if you can relate to that. Yes, I've been talking about it on a big scale, a large narrative in our world, but I wonder if your own personal life in your own life, if there are areas where you are still waiting, waiting on things to change, that what you had hoped for hasn't happened. Well, in Luke 24, we catch up with two of Jesus' disciples on Easter Day. It is the day he rose from the dead. And we hear them dealing with the fact that what they had hoped for, what they had waited for, had not come to pass in their minds. They were walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem, talking about all the things that happened in Jerusalem that weekend, namely Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, and then the stories that they had just heard from this morning, the very morning they were walking of that day, that the, the tomb was empty, that the women had gone to the tomb 
to try to uh, take care of Jesus' body, and he wasn't there. And there were angels there. You know, they're, they're hearing all this stuff, and they don't even know what to do with it. They didn't understand any of it. It's very clear. They didn't know how it all fit together. In fact, they didn't really think it fit together at all. It all kind of seemed crazy and random. And then Jesus joins them on the road. What an awesome thing. Jesus joins them on the road, and he doesn't let them recognize him yet. And he asks, what are you guys talking about? Jesus is the epitome of a non-anxious person, right? He's just not worried about them being worried. He's just like, what are you guys talking about? And Cleopas, uh, we only know one of their names, and there are actually some commentators uh, surmise that it was Cleopas and probably his wife. We, you know, it wasn't necessarily two men, but it was uh, probably Cleopas and possibly his wife. And Cleopas goes into telling Jesus the whole story. What a wild thing to be telling Jesus about his own life, right? And uh, not knowing it. And what he's, when he's, he gives the gospel, his understanding of what happened without actually understanding how it all fits together, and he says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. You can hear the implied conclusion, right? There's no way he could have been. There's no way it could have been him. How could he have been the Messiah, how could he have been the one to redeem Israel when he was crucified as a criminal? <clears throat> I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You can hear the choruses, right? You hear John Mayer right now. We're waiting. We keep on waiting. They thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel. They thought that he was going to deliver them from the oppressive Romans and the hypocritical Jewish leaders. They thought he was going to set things right and make, Kate used this in the last service, so I've got to use it, make Israel great again. <laughs> it was so good. That was like one of the best moments ever. Anyhow, they, that's what they thought. You know, they were wearing their red hats. And, uh, but then he didn't. From their perspective, he didn't make Israel great again. And the funny thing is we watch is that they actually wanted the wrong thing. They wanted the wrong thing. Their hope was set on something that wasn't actually the right thing. Does that make sense to you? It wasn't on God's will. Their hope was set on what they understood redemption to be, but they didn't actually know what redemption meant. You can hear them. They have this kind of glimmer of hope when they recount the fact that these women, the women that had gone, Mary and the others, uh, told them that Jesus had risen from the dead, that the angels had said that. You can hear them. Maybe, maybe he's coming back. But then they reference Peter and John, who were those among them who ran to the tomb to see what the women were talking about. And what did they say? They say, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. There's this kind of deflation. We had hoped, but him they did not see. They were back to waiting, back to the pain of disappointment. And amazingly, Jesus gives them that time and space. He doesn't say, oh, wait, it's me, guys. He could have. He didn't. He gives them the time and space to connect with the pain, to connect with the disappointment of what they thought they wanted. And he doesn't let them recognize him yet. He makes them wait. And one of the reasons he does this is because he's got something else he wants them to see before they actually see him physically risen. 
okay? He wants them to see him in the scriptures first. He calls them foolish, which is actually a little bit harsh when you get into the, uh, the Greek that is used there. Um, it's a harsh translation. It might have been better to say how dull you are. You know, he's kind of like, oh, how dull you are, you guys. Slow of heart to believe. He doesn't, you know, foolish makes you feel like he's kind of saying, you idiots, which is not that bad. But um, he's saying, how dull you are that you still can't see this. Slow to believe. How you can't see that the prophets have spoken, that it was necessary for the Christ to die, to suffer, and to enter into his glory. And then he opens the whole Bible to them. Luke says, from the, starting with Moses all the way through the prophets, the whole scriptures. It's important to remember, because we don't think this way often, that their Bible was the Old Testament, right? They're living the New Testament right now. So when he says he opens the scriptures and shows them how it all was pointing to him, that's the Old Testament. That might be new for some of us, because sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're like, what is happening in here? I don't even know what this is about. And Jesus is telling us that it's about him, that the whole thing was pointing to the promise of God's salvation. And so he opens the scriptures and he shows them that it's all about himself and he shows them what redemption really means. Jesus wanted them to recognize him first through his word because that is actually what they're going to have. He knows that he's not staying. He knows that he's not going to be there every day when somebody doubts them and they can just say, well, look, here he is. You know, he's sitting right here. Jesus wasn't going to stay. He knew he was going to ascend. And he knew that he was going to send them out as his disciples to be his witnesses. And so they needed to understand how to show him to others through the scriptures. They needed to be able to open the word of God and point and say, this is why we know Jesus is the Messiah. Because it was all pointing to this. He is the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. And it's clear that Jesus was a very effective preacher and teacher, in case you wondered. It's very clear that he was, because they are desperate for him to stay with them, right? They get to Emmaus, and I love this. Again, Jesus is so casual, you know, it just seems like he's going to keep on walking. What? I mean, that's just hilarious to me. And, uh, and they're like, wait, where are you going? And they're desperate to have him stay with them. And I love that. I think that's also him just wanting them to want him. After he's exposed the scriptures to them, they're desperate to have him stay. And they urge him to stay, and he does. And that is when he chooses to reveal himself finally as resurrected. He sits with them at the table and he breaks the bread and blesses it and gives it to them and it says their eyes were opened. Now why did he wait till that moment? Well, just a few verses after our passage, we didn't read it today, but they, after experiencing all this, they take off back to Jerusalem. It's a seven-mile walk. They just walked to Emmaus, right? They got there, had some dinner, and then they're like, ah, Jesus! And then they take off and run back to Jerusalem right away to tell the others, the other disciples, what had happened. <clears throat> and this encounter, it made them drop everything. And when they get there, uh, they hear that Jesus had appeared to, to Simon Peter as well. And then they say to all the disciples up in the upper room, they say that he 
was known to us in the breaking of the bread. Showing that they finally are believing that Jesus is risen. The disciples back in the upper room are too. And this is just an aside. It's one of the things that the Bible writers, the biblical writers do all the time is they tell on themselves. It's one of the things that lets us know that's really reliable. It's because most, you know, ancient writings kind of want to tell you the best polished version of it. And these guys don't do it. Luke is sitting here saying, basically, we all doubted the women when they first told us, you know, because they had all been told Jesus wasn't there. The angels, they were like, angels appeared and told us. And they're like, okay, whatever. You know, they, they're basically revealing that they didn't fully buy the woman's story. But now Jesus is appearing to Peter. Now it's appearing to Cleopas and his, his companion. And now they're like, oh my gosh, this is actually true. What they said is actually true. So they're telling on themselves. That's good. This is good. It's giving you the real story. They're finally believing. So Cleopas says that Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And we see the significance of this for these two disciples. It's a picture of fellowship. That's why the Lord waited. He wanted them to see him in the context of intimacy. He first of all wanted them to understand the scriptures and understand why he did what he did and how he was actually the fulfillment of everything. And he equips them for being his witnesses. And then he reveals himself to them in fellowship, in deep, intimate fellowship. There was no greater statement of saying, I am with you and I'm part of your crew and I'm on your team, whatever you want to say, than sitting and having dinner with each other. It carried so much gravity. And so Jesus is showing them that he came to live, die, and rise again from the dead so that we could all have full fellowship with him, so that we could all sit with him at his table. Remember we said last week on Good Friday, we always talk about the curtain being torn from top to bottom, that that is the symbol of there being no more separation between us and God. Well, here we see the resurrection fruit of that. It's what the Lord's Supper, what we do every week, points to. It's what his supper pointed to on Monday, Thursday, before he went to die, that I am going to have full fellowship with you. You are going to be welcomed at my table always because of what I'm going to do for you. I want you for myself, sinners welcomed at God's table. And this is what we're all waiting for, right? Back to John Mayer. This is actually the change that we're looking for. You know, that our relationship with God is actually made right through the suffering of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. He has forgiven our sins. That's why he had to suffer. And that's him entering into his glory, that he's the savior of sinners. And now we're free to live with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. Remember I said last week, we have the third person of the Trinity living in our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in us. God's made his dwelling place with us because of what Jesus has done. And so now, with this full fellowship, what that means, we hear it throughout the New Testament. Paul and the others getting the implications of this. There is no more shame. No more condemnation. No more fear. That fear that makes us want to numb out and keep plugged in so that we don't have to feel. 
Now we actually can feel the pain and face the things that are going on in our lives because we know that Jesus Christ has actually dealt with them. We know that we have a hope, as this candle represents, that does endure. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, their hope was redirected. We had hoped that he was the one. And they didn't understand what that meant. And then Jesus shows them where their hope truly lies, is that he came to actually pay a greater price than they could ever imagine, to save them from their sins. And so now we, we come free of condemnation, free of shame. But the funny thing is, is it's still a time of waiting. Because what happens right when Jesus breaks the bread and they recognize him? He disappears. He vanishes. He shows up just a few minutes later when they go back to the upper room. We didn't read that, but he does come back and show, show up again. But uh, he disappears in that moment. And it shows us that we are in this new kind of waiting. Okay? We have the reality and the promises and the testimony of the cross that we have been saved from our sins and we're welcome into God's fellowship. And at the same time, we're waiting for that full consummation of everything. We're really waiting for the world to change, finally and completely. God promises that he is going to come back. But we know that right now, we are not physically sitting with him at his table. He's not here right now in flesh. We're waiting for that moment. We're waiting for him to come and bring us home to be with him forever. And it's in this waiting that we're still often reminded of pain because we still feel our brokenness here. We still feel the brokenness in ourselves and the brokenness in the world around us. But the thing we know now is we have this promise that it will not last. The brokenness will not last. It has an end date. Jesus says he's going to come back and there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. The redemptive thing now, since we were talking about him redeeming Israel, the redemptive thing now that we experience is that whatever that pain is that you might have, remember when I asked, do you have something in your life that you feel you're waiting on? Where you had hoped for something and it hasn't played out the way you thought. The amazing thing is that God takes that pain and he uses it to show us himself again. He uses it to bring us back to him again. He redeems it to show us that he is actually the one who's come to heal. We don't have to run from it. <clears throat> we don't have to numb out. We don't have to be afraid. Because we know that he actually takes the things that we think are going to destroy us and he uses them to show us our need and then he always wants to show us how he fills that need. It's just what he did to these disciples on the road. They were feeling that waiting, they were feeling that disappointment, and he walks them step by step through how he is the fulfillment. That's how Jesus is. That's how our God is. He is merciful. So no matter what we're going through, we have this confidence that the pain will not last and that Jesus himself will actually use it to show us his goodness again. And so to that, I say, bring on the waiting. Let's lean into Advent. 
and feel the weight. Because in it, Jesus is going to meet us right there. He's going to walk up to us on the road, and he's going to show us himself all over again, how he is the fulfillment of all things for us. The good news, that we're safe in our Lord, and that one day we will get to sit with him at his table. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Advent, Lord, for this time where we get to wait and we get to uh, remember how much we need you. And Lord, I pray that you would make this a season where uh, you break through, where we're not numbing out, where we're not just running from one thing to the next. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to feel and to come to you in that, Lord, to, to know that you are with us and that you are going to redeem all things for us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make us messengers of this hope, that just as you appeared to these disciples and they got so excited and ran back to tell others, I pray, Jesus, that you would do the same in us. Make us your messengers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.